Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Wonderful, beautiful Thursday morning. The sun is up. We're up. We're thankful for that. And, you know, this morning we're going to talk about what's going on in the, around the world internationally because this year we're celebrating NCBA's 100th anniversary. They've been around since 1916, and they've been working internationally as well as domestically. But this morning the Director General of the International Cooperative Alliance is on with us. Good morning, Chuck Good. Good morning, Vernon. How are you today? Great. You coming in very loud and very clear from you're in London this morning? Yes, I am. I'm be en route to uh to Washington for World Bank and some G twenty meetings uh shortly, but uh always a, a delight and a and privilege to be part of your program. Well and I really enjoy your being on it and your telling us what's going around the world. Can you tell us quickly for anybody that have not heard you, what is ICA and what do you do? So the International Cooperative Alliance is the the global umbrella association for cooperatives around the world. So we have members in 100 countries. They tend to be the national associations for cooperatives uh, and then also some of the larger national scale uh, cooperatives. And our members make sure that the cooperative movement is uh, is aligned, is promoted at the uh, the intergovernmental uh, institutions like the United Nations, uh, like the, the G20 uh, forums. Uh, we make sure that uh, the global media is aware of our impact. And then we also serve as a forum for the members to learn from one another and to uh, and to support and help one another. So can you tell us, listeners, what is the G20? So the G20 is the group of the 20 largest economies in the world. So there's a G20, a G8. And uh, a few years ago, we took the position that we need to be working with these uh, organizations that are not representative of every country around the world, but that have great impact, not only in the largest countries, but as a model for what uh, policies are adopted in other countries. So we are now very active uh, in their Business 20 Forum where uh, it was always the multinational uh, corporations who were influencing that, and they were informing governments of the policies that they felt would be supportive of business. We now are very active in their uh, in their working groups and task forces to make sure that their messages also include a cooperative perspective around decent jobs, around uh, climate change issues, around sustainable agriculture, I- issues that we're at the forefront of. Let me ask you this question real quickly. Uh, you like what you're doing? I love it. I love it. I've been doing this now for a little over five years, and uh, I learn more every uh, every day about the complexity, the scale, the impact of cooperatives. And the issues that we're addressing are some of the most uh, challenging that face the world today, and we have answers. Uh, We have answers because this model has been uh, in existence since uh, the mid-19th century. Uh, We've adapted different times, different places. We've uh, we've shown that we can uh, grow and prosper and have impact in every type of culture, in every uh, economic uh, environment. And uh, it's just uh, just a real privilege to be part of it. So you love it. What about it. it do you love? Well... Down to the core of it. Primarily, some of it is is very personal. For me, having having an impact, making a difference in what I do, is something that uh, I sought in my in my career. And uh, I've I've practiced law in the past. I've I've had up a large uh, U.S. charity. I was uh, I was I'm U.S. citizen, although I'm 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 based in uh, in Europe uh, today. And my career has taken me increasingly toward 
where I have a greater impact, and that's reflective of the organizations where I have the uh, the privilege to serve. And the International Cooperative Alliance is one of those. When you look at the the problems today around creating livelihoods, around the the uh, the repercussions from the recession of the past decade, cooperatives have shown that they're a resilient business model that has both economic and social dimensions. It's community-based. It has a concern for the community in which its members live. It is inclined toward more sustainable and environmentally friendly practices. All of those are are cutting-edge issues, and the the need for a different model that takes all of that into into uh, consideration has never been greater. And so the opportunity to be associated uh, with people who are doing that every day on the ground in their communities is just uh, is just a real uh, a real opportunity for me. So the impact is with people. The the impact with people. Yeah. That you can help people have a better quality of life yeah. in your work. Every and day. it is and it's in developed countries and developing countries. So we we work in every region of the world. We have four regional offices. One's in Africa. One's in in uh, in Asia. One in uh, in uh, Costa Rica for North and South America. Central America, and then one in Europe in, in Brussels. And the cooperative model is as relevant in the developed economies, where they're looking for decent jobs and job growth, uh, and where they're trying to deal with, with economic recession in, some, in many of these countries. It's just as relevant in the developing economies where we're trying to pull together farmers who need to increase their productivity and get their products to market. They need access to market and they need access to the inputs at a price they can afford. They need to make sure that the benefits of that increased productivity is rebounding to their communities and not to uh, multinational companies or to uh, perhaps predatory states. And we were working at every level of the global economy. When you started talking just then, your, it seemed like your energy level just pumped up, and that's why I used to ask that question at the end of this, uh, at the end of the show, do you like what you're doing? But a lot of times I would run out of time, so let me just ask that real quickly. And everybody that has been on this show a year, eight months or so, have all said the same thing: love what I'm doing. One lady last week said, "Can't you tell?" <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> so. You got four, you got Africa, Asia, Costa Rica, Brussels, uh, where you have your offices, and then you do things in livelihood, I guess that's creating jobs, um, helping people after the recession, the Great Recession, economic and social uh, stability, uh, sustainability, environment. So you got a, a host of different countries around the world that you're working in and or your members are working in, and then you have these all these different things that you are doing with farmers and worker co-ops and whatever. Does that kind of summarize? You know, that's that's right, and it it, it slices in a, in a couple different dimensions. So there is a geographic one that I was talking about, but there's also the sort of the business sectors, and we have sectoral, what we call sectoral organizations. So they work in different kinds of activities uh, in eight different areas. So there's an agricultural organization. There's banking, like credit unions. There's insurance, the um, mutual and cooperative insurance. There's fisheries. There's cooperative housing. There's cooperative health care. There's worker cooperatives. There's consumer cooperatives, like the food cooperatives and the retail cooperatives. Each of these have their own uh, structure and network within the International Cooperative Alliance. The only way this works, this complexity works, is the fact that it's member-driven and it's very locally uh, locally based. Uh, now they're they're global, but they're they're led by a member who steps up and says, you know, we're we're willing to take the chairmanship this year of the uh, of this sectoral organization and convene the meetings and take the decisions. And that's part of what's really exciting about this is this is not a top-down organization because it's not a top-down business model. It's very based locally with individual members taking the decisions as member owners, and they take those decisions based on the impact it has not just on their livelihoods but also on their their communities. Uh, 
they're committed to, to passing this along from generation to generation. They see the cooperative as a resource for their community. And you see that in the, in the United States. The mm-hmm. rural electric cooperatives provide electricity to 80% of the landmass in the U.S. It's just, it's just a phenomenal achievement over the years. And those rural areas see that as an asset for their community. It's not something that they're trying to see how much money they can extract out of. They see that as something they have to nurture and sustain for the next generation. That's the mindset that people who join cooperatives typically bring. And that long-term perspective that this is not just for my immediate uh, gratification. This is something that, that we need in order to have a community that works and that provides these kinds of livelihoods. And that's what makes it a, a, a different model at a time when the business models, I think everybody would agree, have increasingly moved towards short-term returns and short-term decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this makes it a very resilient model. When you look at the recession uh, this past decade, cooperatives have managed to uh, to flourish and to sustain themselves during this time because they weren't trying to take high risks when times were really good. They weren't trying to see how they could maximize the profit by investing in all kinds of odd things. They're very focused on serving the needs of their members. As a result of that, they don't have these peaks and valleys so typically. And when the economy just peaks, they continue to rise at a steady level. When the economy uh, declines, they continue to move forward at a steady level because they're not taking these short-term decisions. They keep their eye on the long-term and the community benefits. You know, the uh, Martin Lowry was on last week, um, this mm. from the National Rural Electric Cooperative, and it's interesting you bring it up because the focus last week is like this week internationally. So we talked a little bit about what they've done and their history in the U.S., but a lot about what they're doing internationally to to get other countries to benefit from what they have learned, and they don't do it for a profit. <laughs> so it's like, how do I help the community, the world? So they're really impacting the world. And the first time I heard about this um, ability to make decisions today that would help people in the future was a guy named Jim Jones was on from NASCO, the student housing, um, mm-hmm. North America uh, Student uh, Cooperative Housing. And he was saying how students who are normally there for maybe four years, two to four years, how they make decisions to save money for the next set of students because somebody had done that for them. Okay, And so it makes it a, a very, very, when you talk about sustainable and people, which is one of the reasons I love co-ops. I've come to love them. And I didn't learn about them early in my life. I've only known about them about 20 years. So we're getting ready to take our first break, uh, Chuck, and we'll come back and get into the details of what you're doing and when you're doing it and when you're having your annual meeting and so forth. But we'll get to weather, the traffic, and the news, and then we'll be right back. Fourteen fifty WOL. Information is power, and we're here with Mr. Chuck Gould, the Director General of the International Cooperative Alliance, giving you information about co-ops and why they function and why they have been around for quite some time and and doing the peaks and the valleys of of recession, economic upturns and downturns, how they fare very, very well. Because in co-ops, people learn how to make decisions that are sort of decisions that's best for the group and don't take unnecessary risk. Um, Chuck, can you begin to tell us what some of the things that you guys are doing and take either Africa, Asia, Costa Rica, and any of these sectors, uh, agriculture, banking, insurance, fisheries? I can. I, I, I look forward to that. Let me tell you um, sort of the, 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 the framework and the context for, for the specific work that we've taken on now. Uh, there was uh, a couple of years ago the United Nations International Year of Cooperatives. That was yes. in 2012. And, uh, and we, we took that year, we took advantage of that year to not just promote cooperatives and get out our message and, uh, and celebrate the recognition, but also to say that uh, we, we, knew, we knew then that that year was going to go fast. And we wanted to take advantage of the the excitement, the enthusiasm, the solidarity around the world that cooperatives were feeling to really create a plan and say, how can we make sure that cooperatives are, are really, really 
punching above our weight, that we're actually pulling together to to ramp up to a higher order of magnitude of our impact. And we created, uh, we drafted a blueprint for a cooperative decade. We said this 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 decade, we want to really see significant advances in the impact that cooperatives are, are having. So we took a 2020 perspective, and that's part of what I was talking about, the longer view that cooperatives can can take to really try to build toward a toward a toward an end. And we identified five five areas where we need to, needed to have some game changing strategies to really to really get to that level. And uh, and I'll talk in just a, a couple of those because they they really help explain what we're trying to do. And one of those is to make sure that the message of cooperatives is getting out to really emphasize the identity of cooperatives and to do that around a couple of particular strengths that we have. And one of those is participation and one is sustainability. And, um, and those are two of these, these strategic areas. So on the participation, what that really means is in a cooperative, you have a voice, you can make a difference. Everybody gets a vote. You're a member owner. And we think that's a very powerful message at a time when people don't feel like they have a voice. They don't feel that these huge, uh, these huge companies that contr- that uh, that, that uh, are are all around them that that they have any influence over them. The second area, the sustainability, uh, really is getting out the message that cooperatives are inclined to be a more sustainable model, and that's true economically socially, environmentally, that because they're community-based, they they care about the impact of the decisions. So that's a big part of how we've been working and positioning the cooperatives. And we have uh, uh, an ideal time for that because the United Nations has just adopted uh, late last year the the goals that will drive the global agenda for the next 15 years, the Sustainable Development Goals. And there are 17 of these, and if we have time, I'll go into into all of that a, a little mm. bit a little bit later. Mm-hmm. But it's the point is that what we want to do, and what is authentic and real, and the legitimate message around the cooperative and how it's a a sustainable model, all of that is well timed because of the global community and and governments around the world recognizing that they need to focus on sustainable development. The other parts of this blueprint where we've been working is around the the legal framework. So what what's the enabling environment in countries that would allow cooperatives to really grow, that would allow more people to form cooperatives? What is it what does it take for the 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 environment to to really uh, allow that to happen? And then capital uh, is the final area, because we're not, um, we can't ignore capital. Just because we're people-centered, we prioritize the individuals over making money, over the profit. We still have to have have uh, capital. We have to have working capital. We have, you know, we're, we're building livelihoods for people. It's just that we're not trying to build that profit at the cooperative level. We're trying to help people with their own livelihoods. But we still need to find a way to ensure that we can access the capital we need to grow and for the cooperative to move to the next level without sacrificing the member control. And so we're, we've been very engaged in looking at how cooperatives are doing that, how they're structuring their themselves and their financing. And I won't go into a lot of that other than just recognize that that's, uh, that's an important part of, uh, of, this, of this overall work that we've taken on. Well, I had the opportunity to be at in 2011 uh, when we, when the United Nations uh, sort of press release for this uh, 2012 being the year of the cooperative. And I was in a meeting, I don't know, 150, 200 people from around the world. And I was amazed at what was happening in Russia, um, mm. in, in different parts of, of Central America, what's going on in different uh, Asia and India and China, all of these different countries uh, coming together around cooperatives and building communities and people within those communities. It was fascinating to be there and listen. I I, I got uh, an invitation and told I was only there to listen. I couldn't talk. 
<laughs> but I, I got a lot out of keeping my mouth shut and just listening. It was it's great. So, it's, um, and your last boss, I guess, Dame Pauline Green, was on this show, and she talked about how you have different people on the board of ICA, different people from a standpoint of religions and political structures coming from different countries with different ideologies, but they all seem to come together and be able to work together. This is at least what I got from her conversation, work together for the common good of the people. What's best for these people in this community and what is best to help this community grow. And so all of the things that normally separate us, men, women, black, white, uh, rich, poor, whatever it is, they sort of get go away when we get into this, this uh, conversation in the building co-ops. Is that sort of what you get to? Yeah, that, that's right? very true. That's very true. And that's, that's actually been an important part of the, of the cooperative history is that um, they form, the cooperatives around the world form the International Cooperative Alliance as a, as a forum that is free from the political differences of the, of the different world's uh, structures, as free from the religious differences, uh, that's, that's free from some of the other cultural differences. Now, people may individually bring their own, uh, you know, their own perspectives. Of course, we all do, but uh, they don't have a place in our agenda. And so we have people sitting next to them to one another from parts of the world where the governments don't have any relationships, and yet they'll sit at the same table and and advance this model because they all agree with the model. They all agree that this. With, with the tenets, the the seven principles of the of, of the cooperative model, and on the board, the board is a microcosm of that. So we have 23 members on our board. Uh, Martin uh, Lowry, who you mentioned from the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, is a member of that board, uh, and he's. We have one person from the U.S. and and that's that's Martin, but we have members from uh, from Russia, China, Japan, Korea, uh, France. Uh, uh, Mexico, Argentina, uh, r- really just all around, all around the world, uh, Kenya, and they understand that they focus on the common agenda, not uh, not on the differences. If I look back, uh, I, I came to this position as I mentioned five years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, I've enjoyed reading the history of the cooperative movement. Uh, and from time to time, some issue will come up where we'll look back on our in our rich archives to see uh, what we did. And my sense is that the cooperatives have been on the right side of history from the beginning. They, even in the very early days, the the Rochdale pioneers uh, were were the kind of small group and part of England that, that uh, in the 18, uh, mid 1800s came up with the, the predecessor to the principles we have today. And they're seen as kind of the sort of the beginning of of the modern cooperative movement. And everyone had one vote, including women at that time, before women were enfranchised to be able to vote. Uh, they, we, they have always been at the forefront of gender issues. They are at the forefront of the peace movement. Uh, they continued during, uh, uh, during the wars to, uh, to, to meet and to uh, advance the model and to advance peace at the same time. Uh, we have a meeting in Europe next week where we're, one of the agenda items is to look at this this crisis that the world is facing on the refugee issues. Uh, and cooperatives recognize that there is a strong social dimension to what they do that is part of a common bond. Uh, and they don't allow the religious and political differences that they, that they realize are in their countries and that they have to work within that context, but they don't they don't allow that to paralyze them and taking uh, concerted action. You know, um, just real quickly, because we have to do our next break. Uh, on the right side of history, David Thompson, who has written books about this, told me how the folks in Rochdale in the 1850s helped Frederick Douglass. Uh, he, he left the U.S., mm-hmm. Maryland, right up the street here, and he left and went to England and as a slave. And he, he did work there and, and uh, speak, and he made money, but they also donated money. They donated money so that he could buy his uh, freedom, and he came back a freedman. So There's they, something I, I learned. I didn't know that. 
um, the, the, the sort of, but I, I had not thought of on the right side of history of what is right for the, for human beings, no matter where that might be and what's right for our, our, um, society. So yes. And we're talking about the volunteer and open membership, which is the principle number one, uh, regardless of gender or social or racial or political. And we're going to take our next break and we'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Fourteen fifty W O L. Welcome back, everybody. Information is power, and this is why W O L is a great, great host of this show because the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this show, so you can get the information that you might need to either start a co-op or find a co-op, find a job within a co-op, and get the benefits of of co-ops. Uh, the sustainability, making decisions that are best for everybody in the group as opposed to just what's best for me. Um, you know, Chuck, um, you were talking about a lot, and we don't have, we're already halfway through, so I want to try to get as mm-hmm. much in as we can. Um, you, you were saying that there were 17 uh, principles or functions that the United Nations wanted to get accomplished this year? Or, or in the next into twenty twenty. That's that's right. Actually, by by twenty thirty. So they have a sort of a different timeline here. Uh, the, the United Nations had something called the Millennium Development Goals that were supposed to run up to two thousand, and they they pushed those uh, they pushed those longer, and uh, they actually made some significant headway in reducing poverty if you look at poverty around the world in that uh, in that period it, there, it really had been significantly reduced but they they realized that they needed to take a fresh look at what are the the goals that all of their member states around the world should should agree on and so they worked for the past few years in developing what they determined would be the sustainable development goals so this is the sort of at the highest level of the world uh, you know, the world bodies, this is what the governments have agreed should be their economic social agenda. And it runs, it was adopted last year, it runs for 15 years, so they do take a nice long horizon as well. So it runs to 2030. And there are 17 goal areas uh, in the in the SDGs. And what, we're, what we've done uh, at the International Cooperative Alliance is to is to recognize that we want cooperatives to be to be seen as and to actually be at the center of these of, of this work, and so we've looked at the goals that we think are the most um, the most applicable. So they they deal with things like uh, ensuring access to energy, uh, ending poverty in all forms, uh, food security that is uh, ending hunger. Uh, gender equality, uh, sustainable management of water. Uh, so we've looked at these, and we've identified ones where we think cooperatives can make the biggest difference. And we're developing a, an online platform now where our members and cooperatives around the world can can make a pledge to say, here's specifically what we're going to do on the ground, because that's where this stuff really matters. Here's mm-hmm. what we're going to do on the ground. But we want to be able to collect those stories and to inspire one another by having them aware of what others are doing and and uh, and hopefully they're thinking provoked and and stirred by that to take to take action in these areas. So this is just unfolding now, and it's, it's very exciting for us. You know, once, um, matter of fact, several times on this program, I've talked about that the wealthy, the one percenters around the world, are top 10% don't really want the rest of us to know about co-ops because if everybody knew about co-ops and were trying to either start one or get into one so that they could have their create their own wealth and wealth for their community, then the folks that are in the U.S., the, the one percenters get 60% of all new wealth, they, they would cut into what they get. And so that was one view. But then I was reading something the other day that, you know, that people make money off the poor. And I thought about that a couple of years ago with housing, with HUD, uh, the Department of HUD is uh, 
housing and, and community development, they um, give most of their money for apartment buildings. But they've had the best results from co-ops, limited equity co-ops. Uh, and the research that I've read in every every way you can look at it, uh, lower rents, less uh, um, folks, you know, getting uh, losing their homes. Even in the 2007, 2008, co-ops didn't lose houses like uh, condos and single-family homes because of the decisions that were made. But then it's like not only would they not want us to know about it, it's the masses of the people because we wouldn't been be able to make that profit, but they wouldn't want us to know about it because they wouldn't make money. Have you seen it around the world? Well, I, I will say that there is a, um, there, there, there has been an awakening, I think in the last 20 years, this is more of a personal perspective uh, than anything. The, the alliances has, has really worked on, but, but I would say, I, I think there's been an awakening in the last 20 years of how large that market is among poor people. If you'll use uh, kind of business terms and many uh, companies that have looked at how they could profit from that. And there is a, uh, there was a book about 20 years ago, I think called uh, something, something about the money at the bottom of the pyramid. And it was how to, really how to do that. Um, personally, I, I have problems with people who try to make money off those kinds of situations and, and, and frankly, off some services like housing or healthcare. Uh, but when you, when you turn that into the cooperative model um, there and, and you look at something like housing, part of what makes the cooperative model work is the fact that the individuals are motivated. Uh, it's not, this, these aren't charities, uh, the, the cooperative is not a charity. These are people coming together to help one another and help themselves in the process and meet a need, whether that's housing or health care or farmers getting their, their products to market. The cooperative itself is not trying to make the profit, but the whole idea is not is not a charity. Uh, I mentioned I used to I used to run a large charity and, and we had a lot of different activities and there's I still have a big part of my of my uh, emotional uh, uh, um, kind of compass toward that because I think there are many people who need that kind of help. But that's not cooperatives, and cooperatives are sustainable over time because the individuals are very motivated. So when you come into a problem, um, they find a way to get a solution because they they need to find a solution, whether it's a problem in the housing or a problem in their healthcare or a problem that the farmers are facing. And that's different than somebody else coming in and exploiting the community. So it's it's right in the middle, if you will, between the, the sort of the charity that's trying to help somebody else who has a need, and the, the 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 companies. Not all companies, of course, but the companies that are maybe exploiting that opportunity. This is people coming together to help themselves. That's a really nice way of looking at it. Thanks so, thank you. That's a nice way. But, you know, when we start talking about what's going on around, around the world, most often we'll go to Africa or Asia or countries in um, in the Americas. But right here, you know, we've been Flint, Michigan. <laughs> they, 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 it's a food desert. Uh, they don't have a grocery store. You, we all know about the water problems. And so how do you get people in that community? Oh, I also had a lady on the show that about credit unions, um, talking about women in in co-ops and how how the co-ops have have helped women. Um, so she was saying that there was a co-op, and she just knew the co-op in Flint, Michigan. She gave me this web page, and I looked it up. I didn't find any. I found in some of the west and the north, the south, and the east, but I didn't find any. Uh, credit unions in Flint, Michigan. So I called her back, and she's looking at that now to see if if they're there. And I just, you know, not on a, or they're not there. So it might just in pockets here in the U.S. And we normally think about in the South and the, in the belt of uh, farming belt, um, that is where there's a lot of poverty. But in communities like Flint, that need this co-op model, and I'm see what I can do to try to help get that there for all of the reasons you're talking about around the world. So it's anywhere where there is poverty, anywhere where there is a problem. Uh, have you met Papa Sin out of Senegal? 
I did. Yes, I, I at an NCBA, a National Cooperative Business Association event a couple of years ago called uh, the Cooperative Hall of Fame. Okay, that's the same time I met him because he became a uh, Hall of Famer. And he was on the show, and that's when we first got started. He was the first one of the first four or five people on the show. And he said co-ops solve community problems. If there's no community problem, there's no need for a co-op. <laughs> I like I remember that obviously. Mm-hmm. Um so let's go back to your seventeen or can you can you break down some of the things that you are that your organization is doing and working with people around the world? Yeah, actually what it, it's a. Uh... That's that's a great question because we have something that we're just starting that we're very excited about that actually takes that context I was talking about before with our blueprint Mm -hmm. and that takes the the sustainable development goals, the SDGs, they're shorthanding calling them, and and connects those into into an actual, uh, actual action here. And this is something we just launched called is a it's a global development project called Cooperatives in Development, um, People Centered Business in Action is what we're call, we're calling it. And uh, this is a, a significant uh, new step for us. It's it it's a project that will be uh, it's coming with co funding from the European Commission. So it's over the next five years we'll be working on this, and it's about a 10 million euro project. So add about 15 percent on that to get the dollars. So a little over 11 million dollars over those those five years. And this is all around um, recognizing cooperatives as a as a lever for sustainable development and building the capacity of the cooperative movement. So it's. It has a, a number of specific objectives around it, around strengthening the the political capacity of of, of our members, the the institutional capacity, so that they can advocate for cooperatives in their countries, around uh, setting up new alliances with civil society actors, so other you know with, with NGOs and nonprofit organizations, so that we can partner and work together, uh, ensuring that there is an environment in these countries. For cooperatives to be to be established, uh, trying to affect the uh, the domestic policies, and this this will involve working on a lot of different development projects. But it's not a specific project on the ground. It's one step above that, where mm-hmm. we're saying, in order to really have impact, you've got to make sure that you're particularly at a global level, that you're helping the countries develop what they need. For their for cooperatives to be formed, and that's why we think this is such an exciting project. Is that it's not focusing on one community; is really focusing on the cooperative movement's ability to take on these specific projects and and to to grow them. So this we think is going to be the first step toward really unleashing a lot of cooperative development over the next five years. It sounds extremely exciting um, all over the world. Um, and you, do you have, is it uh, top 300 cooperatives in the world? Is that uh, what we do. We, yeah, yeah, we produce something called the World Cooperative Monitor because part of our, what's important to us is to be able to explain the scale and impact of cooperatives. And to do that, we have to have figures. We have to have data. We have to be able to point to, to real numbers. And we also want to measure the, the, the growth of cooperatives. So we produce every year, uh, along with a research institution called Eurixi, uh, we produce the World Cooperative Monitor. And part of that is to look at the the size of the 300 largest cooperatives in the world. And what we found is every year since we started producing this report, that has grown. And now um, the, the report we produced just last year, we're, we're gathering data now for this year's, uh, but last year's report shows that those 300 largest cooperatives have a combined um, uh, revenue each year of uh, 2.3 trillion, almost 2.4 trillion U.S. dollars, uh, which is which is just huge. So it shows that that's just 300. It shows that cooperatives, while they're community-based, can grow to scale by having a, a governance system that allows them to have representatives at different levels. And to and to actually have a significant impact.
effect on the on their their domestic economies. Yeah, I see in the top ten, uh, State Farm, Kaiser Permanente, CHS, from the U.S., and then France and Germany and so forth. We've taken our last break, Chuck. Okay. <laughs> so it, it goes by real quick, but we'll be right back. Please do not touch that down. 1450 WOL. You know, Mr. Chuck Good is our guest today, and we started talking about the principles. We didn't finish them. We talked about volunteer and open membership as the first one, democratic member control, one member, one vote, the second. Member economic participation is the third principle. You put money in a lot of times, and you, when there's a surplus of profit, you get money back out. That's one way of creating financial wealth. Autonomy and independence. Uh, have to be able to control it. And number five is education, training, and information. Number six is cooperation among cooperatives. And seven, concern for communities. In the cooperative DNA to have social responsibility. Where are you, and you said it in your annual meetings, you all get together, when you get together, you do this some training, education. When is your next meeting and where? We have uh, We have a meeting coming up called the Cooperative Summit uh, in Quebec uh, City, Canada, uh, this October, the 10th through the 13th of October. And this is uh, an opportunity for cooperatives to come together and focus in particular on business strategies, um, how to improve performance, how to improve their impact. Uh, it's, it's a very, uh, it's a very uh, uh, dynamic uh, event. And then we'll have a global conference uh, next year in 2017. Uh, the exact date is not yet set, but that will be in Malaysia. And there we focus on political agendas as well as some business uh, business strategies, but much more in the social and political agendas of, of cooperatives. And you mentioned the uh, the seven principles. It was at our last global conference, which was in Turkey last year. So it's every other year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the summit in between uh, where we, we uh, adopted a new, uh, a new document that we're very pleased with called the guidelines on the cooperative principles, because those seven principles have, have been around in different forms since the Rochdale pioneers in the 1850s, 60s. Uh, the last statement of them go back 15, 16 years but they've been adopted now by the United Nations and some of their guidelines, by the International Labor Organization and their recommendations. And so we're a little reluctant to change the language of them because they, they ought to last for some time and because they're now getting codified in, in domestic legislation. So we developed the, uh, the guidelines, these guidance notes, to help cooperatives understand uh, – the, the relevance of the of the principles today to make sure that they really speak to our times and not to 10, 15 years ago. And they have examples in the guidance notes of how cooperatives are interpreting these principles and applying them in a changing in a changing uh, economic and social environment. And it's uh, it's a very robust document and is is something that we'll keep we'll keep fresh and keep updating. And how can I get a copy of that? Uh, all of the anything we produce, you can find through our website, which is ICA.coop. So the International Cooperative Alliance's website, ICA.coop, and there, there's links there to all of these. You'll find some other recent documents there. We we published something uh, called a Capital Conundrum, which deals with the questions of uh, of, uh, of capital and how do cooperatives access capital without jeopardizing their their uh, member control. There's a capital survey there that looks at how cooperatives are are financed, their 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 structure. There's another one we're producing that'll be out within the next few weeks. Uh, we're just finalizing the format of it called Doing Cooperative Business, which looks at the the legal environment for cooperatives. So the uh, the United or the uh, World Bank publishes a report every year called Doing Business. And they look at all kinds of indicators like level of corruption, access to utilities, uh, the regulations around setting up a new business. It's all about how 
how easy or, or hard is it in each country to do business, to start particularly small businesses. And we took that as, a, as an inspiration to look at cooperative businesses. How easy or hard is it in each country to set up cooperatives? And this is um, right at the beginning. We have the foundational report that we're about to, about to produce, and it has some, some very interesting uh, observations in it. And uh, what we found is that we, we looked at the cooperative economies around the world. So what countries have the strongest level of, of cooperative activity, and what is there about their environments that might be similar? And what's interesting uh, is that they exist in very different frameworks, very different kinds of, of economies. But the, what's, in, what's common is that the, the higher the the uh, the level of democracy in that society, the the stronger the cooperative economy. The lower the levels of inequality, particularly income inequality, the lower income inequality is, the the greater the cooperative economy. The lower the levels of corruption, the greater the cooperative economy. The higher the level of good governance and so forth. So there's some really interesting findings in that we're going to be sharing in just a, in just a few weeks. I would like to get that and get it for the U.S. I mean, it's sort of even the what laws you need in order to form co-ops. The <clears throat> Federation of Southern Co-ops, when they were formed in the 60s, came to D.C. because it had laws where they could form a cooperative under, where um, they didn't have them in uh, Alabama. So I like it's sort of like this. Is it the central cooperative laws, what laws are needed in order to help form co-ops? Uh, you, you got your uh, LLCs, and you can form uh, different types of businesses, but it's not so easy in certain places to form co-ops. So it would be nice to be able to do that in different states in the U.S. If, of how easy it is to promote. You go up to um, where you uh, Minnesota or Wisconsin, you'd probably find the law is very, very easy. I did look up real quickly how long it is from D.C. to Quebec, and it's only uh, an eleven-and-a-half-hour drive. Um, it'd be a lot easier to get there than some of the other places you just talked about, like Turkey, where people in the yes, U.S. Well, would want to go. Yep. So Turkey was last year. Uh, Quebec is this year for the summit, and then Malaysia um, uh, for uh, for next year. And we'd love to see uh, people at, at all of those or both of those, but certainly uh, U.S. cooperators ought to be getting to the uh, to the summit. It is the uh, 10th to 13th of October. It's uh, it's a very strong agenda. Uh, you can you'll find the a link to it from our uh, from our website. You can also find it if you Google a cooperative summit and uh, look at the preliminary program. It it actually has an interesting beginning because our new president you mentioned Monique or you mentioned uh, Pauline Green mm -hmm. uh, who was our president till last year and our members elected uh, her successor Monique LaRue at our conference in Antalya Turkey last year and Monique is the uh, CEO and uh, and chair of Desjardins she's just uh, just retiring from that position as she comes into our president uh, role but uh, Desjardins is a large cooperative uh, financial institution in Quebec. I think they have 40% of the Quebec uh, financial market, and they were rated by Bloomberg as the strongest financial institution, the strongest bank in North America. Not the cooperative bank, the strongest bank. So they're very well funded. They're very well capitalized. They have incredible support from their people, and it's a cooperative bank. And it was Monique's view that the cooperative sector should have their own Davos rather than having people go off to the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, and, and just uh, uh, try, to, uh, try, try to take these positions on, on, on uh, how business should be conducted. Her vision was that cooperatives ought to be doing that our, ourselves. And so the summit was conceived that way during the international year in 2012, and this is the third of those summits now. So this bank in Quebec is better run, better finance, I guess more people paying back, less delinquencies. 
um, than any bank in North America? It is. It was rated the strongest financial institution by by Bloomberg, and uh, it's been around since about 1900. I think 1901 or 1899, 1901, somewhere in there. So it's you know well over 100 years old. So it's sustainable. It has a huge percentage, the strongest percentage in in the uh, in the French Canadian uh, market. Uh, they they stay very focused on the cooperative principles. They they don't make crazy investments. They invest in their community, and you know they've shown that if you do that year over year, you grow to be an extremely successful uh, uh, institution. So they beat out Chase and Wells Fargo and all those people. <laughs> okay, number one in North America. They're they're the fifth strongest in the world and the strongest in North America in that last report. Chuck, we only have another minute here. So, what would you like to leave people with? Well, I would encourage them to look at the cooperatives in their community. To, if they're already a cooperative member, to look at what's happening on a national level. Uh, the National Cooperative Business Association is a, is a great organization, and that's the, um, the umbrella organization in the U.S. for cooperatives. Look at what we're doing on a, on a global level if you have an interest there. And I, I encourage uh, – I'm, I'm from the U.S. myself, and so I encourage U.S. citizens to, uh, to pay attention to the world. Uh, and to uh, and and to be willing to to learn from what's happening in, in other uh, other communities as well, and not to see that uh, it's it's always uh, something where the U.S. should be providing the leadership for the others. Sometimes you can you can learn a great deal by looking at uh, how people in these other communities are, are are doing business, and that's one of the advantages of the cooperative model is it's uh, people coming together and and in these different forms that we've been describing, and. Um, and I just uh, appreciate the opportunity, Vernon, to be a part of your program again. You had me on a year ago, and it was I got a lot of positive feedback from it. And uh, and I appreciate your the attention that you pay to uh, to the cooperative movement and the visibility that you bring to it. Thank you, Chuck, and thank everybody for listening. And we'll be back next Thursday. Thank you for all that you do for the world. Have a great, great week. Fourteen fifty W O L.